Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit Tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Habitat Podcast, the podcast for wildlife habitat management, hunting strategy, and land stewardship. And now, your host, Jared Van Hees. Welcome back, everybody, to the Habitat Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Van Hees, and we have another great episode for you here today. We have my friend Josh Sparks from Midwest Whitetail on the line tonight. So Josh is an Iowa resident, um, been working with the Midwest Whitetail team, an employee there, and uh, 41 North Media for quite a while now, and um, just a good buddy of mine, and want to hear him on here. We're going to tackle everything late season December hunting, for those of you who are still out grinding. I know I'm going to be heading out here in just a few minutes with my daughter to try to put some meat in the freezer, and um, we're going to go after the food. So we're going to talk about in this episode... We're going to talk about some food plot backup plans that maybe you can think about for next season. Um, knocking off the bully-type bucks that might keep other bucks out of the area. Um, monitoring your trail cameras this time of year. We talk about trail cameras a ton, guys, and it's because they give you so much reliable intel. We talk about how we're going to maintain some old clover plots in the spring. We talk about transplanting cedars and planting cedars in clumps on south-facing slopes to make winter bedding, where you could hunt that in the future as well. So it's kind of a late-season, what-to-do-now type game plan, but also lots of habitat chat going on into 2021 here with plans. Get your brain thinking if you're not already out there working already, which I know some of you are. And hats off to you. And, guys, speaking of habitat chat, we have a brand-new group on Facebook. Um, our friend Al Tomechko joins us here. He's one of the guys, the founder of the group. It's called Habitat Chat 
on Facebook. It's linked to our Habitat Podcast Facebook page. So be sure to go to the Facebook page. At the top, look under Groups and find Habitat Chat. Get in there. Where it's where we're going to talk about everything Habitat, all the any questions you want to ask after an episode launches, show off your projects you're working on. It's awesome. We already have a few hundred members, and we just started this thing last week. So please go on there to uh, the Habitat Podcast Facebook page and join the Habitat Chat. It's a public group. We'd love all of you to come over and join. If you haven't been to HabitatPodcast.com yet, you're missing out. We have lots of gears, our land plan services, and our new Habitat journal up there. So this is a blog, guys, all Habitat-related articles on there. We have five or six new contributors who are going to be part of this blog here in 2021. So I've been uh, looking for some contributors to help with some articles on the Habitat journal. And uh, if you're interested, just hit me up. But we do have five or six studs that are going to be writing some articles for the Habitat Podcast, Habitat Journal. So all that's at HabitatPodcast.com, including every podcast episode. In case you want to get all the way back to number one, go ahead and check that out. There will be links to all of this in the podcast notes that you're listening to right now. So if you just scroll down, I'll have a link to the website, our land plan services, all of our sponsor stuff, all listed right below you in the episode notes that you're listening to right now. Guys, I want to thank Packer Max Cult Packers for their support in this podcast. I was just over in West Michigan and swung by the Packer Max Warehouse or Manufacturing Producing Facility, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Beautiful, beautiful place. And if you follow us on YouTube and Instagram and Facebook, you will see a tour we do of the Packer Max shop. So, Lincoln and I did a tour of his shop when I was in there the other day, and guys, he is getting ready to pump out a ton more come the first of the year. So if you're interested, be sure to check out PackerMax.com, use code HPC25, that's HPC25, for $25 off the Packer of your choice. And again, guys, PackerMax.com, you can find his link to his website also on HabitatPodcast.com. Next, guys, one more thing I want to tell you about. We are doing a Christmas giveaway with Sound Barrier Hunting. So if you need any silencing gear for any of your tree stands, your climbing steps, your camera arms, your video cameras, your bows, anything that makes metal-on-metal noise, Sound Barrier makes a product called Buck Bumper. We've had Adam on here a couple times before. You can always go back and hear about his products then. But if you go over on our Facebook or Instagram, we're doing this giveaway on both, and you follow both pages, and whether you're on Instagram, you can tag three people, or Facebook, you just share the post, you'll be entered into a giveaway we're going to launch on Christmas for some Buck Bumper product and Habitat Podcast swag. And guys, if you do not win, don't worry about it, we do have 10% off and free shipping with code HP if you go to Sound Barriers website. So, guys, check them out. We'd love to give you guys something here for Christmas. So, that's on the Habitat Podcast Facebook page as well. That's a giveaway for sound barrier hunting. I'd like to thank HuntWise, Killer Food Plots, Michigan Whitetail Pursuit, The Habitat Hook, Realtree United Country, Lamb Pro Lake States Realty and Auction, and Morse Nursery for their support. Guys, these companies are great companies, local companies, and they help support the podcast. So we've got to show them some love. 
check out their websites. We have all their discount codes and links to their sites in the show notes below in case you guys want to check that out. A couple good Christmas gifts. Could be a Habitat podcast hat. Could be Killer Food Plots gift card. Could be a Habitat hook or, uh, you know, some buck bumper or even a Morse Nursery gift card. Check all that out. Christmas is right around the corner. And thank you so much for listening. Let's get back into it with Josh Sparks from Midwest Whitetail on late season hunting. All right, and we're live. We have my trusty co-host, Brian Hallblatt from Pennsylvania. What's going on, Brian? Not a whole lot. Just uh, getting stuff wrapped up, trying to get the house ready for the holidays and trying to squeeze in some hunts in between all that stuff. But doing well, family's doing well, and just trying to hang in there through all this COVID. So how are you doing? Good, man. Good to hear. And I'm doing well, my friend. Healthy uh, as a horse over here and, and doing the same thing with the hunting and the holidays. And um, excited to to get into our, our show tonight. We got a old friend of ours, uh, Josh Sparks from uh, Iowa on the line. What's going on tonight, Josh? Oh, not too much, man. Same thing you guys are talking about. Just, uh, well, I just got back from Kansas, so just kind of winding down. Been on the road for a week and Got to be a part of a pretty special camp down there, all the success, and really couldn't ask for much more. So just kind of sulking in the fact that November's already over, and uh, we're not – only thing to look forward to is that late muzzleloader is opening up here soon, so that means you get to get back out there with the buck tag. So I'm pretty excited about that. Heck, yeah, man. And, you know, you're not kidding, kind of kind of bumming and missing November already. I, I feel you there. Um, I feel like that month – takes forever to get here and goes by and then it's just like it's already december christmas the hunt season's over like that yeah i mean it's, uh, how, how does that work for you when you're not getting any sleep editing and all that stuff too how's that work well bye, bye pretty fast. yeah no i mean we always joke about it here how we wait 10 months for two months and those two months just you know it's like a blink of an eye i mean it I feel like it was just October 1st opening day, and, you know, now we're already approaching the end of the season. But it was a, definitely a weird year just because I wasn't in a tree very much in November with, uh, you know, tagging out the first day of both season in Iowa, which I wouldn't trade for the world. I'm not in any way saying that. But, you know, there is something special about, you know, the rut and looking forward to that. So luckily I got to spend some time behind the camera, though. I wasn't totally out of the game and did make a trip to Illinois a couple of times and got to see some good deer. So definitely a grind. Um, a lot of, you know, sleepless nights. But like I said, wouldn't trade it for the world. So, you know. That's, yeah. Sounds like an exciting season so far for sure. And, uh, you know, before we get too deep in the details here, let's hear about, you know, who you are, where you're from, what you do for a living, all that good stuff. So listeners can kind of, you know, see the picture for, of, uh, of who Josh Sparks is. Yeah, um, well, I guess I could start that I'm, I'm from Iowa, uh, 24 years old, and I guess my career, what I do is heavily focused on the production side of things. Um, I produce Midwest Whitetail and then our Chasing November series on the post-production side, and then obviously coming with that is the videography aspect of the job. Um, you know, two things that I quickly fell in love with, you know, growing up, I was a, you know, long time Midwest Whitetail fan, didn't have TV. 
So I had no sportsman channel outdoor channel. And 2008, when free hunting show popped up online, you know, instantly I became an everyday viewer every Monday. And uh, that progressed all, all the way through, I want to say, 2016? No, 2015. It was my freshman year of college. And uh, by chance, I ran into someone. I was talking about hunting shows and filming. And this random guy was like, yeah, my cousin's husband does that stuff. And I was like, yeah, what's his name? And he said, Jared Mills. And for anybody that's ever watched Midwest Whitetail, obviously knows who Jared Mills is. And I'm like, you're serious. Like, is Midwest Whitetail the show's name? And so if you can imagine this freshman in college, all of a sudden I'm like, you got to get me into contact with this guy. And uh, got his email and sent him probably the most disgusting, sappy, I will do anything, work for free, just let me come hang out with you and learn. (laughs) And, you know, back then it was just wanting to be in a tree. I didn't really have a passion, per se, for videography. It was just I wanted to hunt. And, you know, here we are, you know, five years later, and it's my full-time job and career. So it uh, developed very quickly, and luckily, you know, I fell in love with both aspects of it, the videography and the production side. And ultimately, it's allowed me to spend a lot of time in the woods, got to meet a lot of really incredible people, got to be a lot of, you know, got to be a part of a lot of really incredible hunting stories, and uh, just really a privilege overall to get to do what I do on a daily basis. There's no doubt about that. Uh, Great story, man. I know know it comes with long hours and, and little sleep, so, you know, everybody thinks that it might be this, this glory dream job, which it is. Uh, but it's not without hard work. I mean, I don't know how many times I've talked to you or, or seen you or been around you, and you're like, oh, got to go. It's midnight. Got to go edit. Or you know, <laughs> ATA, you and Drake, both got to go. Yeah. No, it, uh, I mean, it definitely, I mean, I'm not, I don't want it all come off like I'm complaining. Um, you know, when somebody asks about what we do, really, you know, they always say, oh, it'll be awesome to hunt for a living. And, Again, not complaining, but that really is really far from the truth. Really, all we do for a living is just not sleep. You know, while we get to hunt, the semi-lifestyle is what really kind of gets you on that aspect. And it's not that it's necessarily difficult, you know what I mean? I mean, there's definitely some strategy and storytelling to it, but it's just the fact of doing it and doing it every day for, you know, three to three and a half months. Um, But like I said, I wouldn't trade it for the world. And, uh, you know, like I was joking about today with Jeff, when I was, that's the gentleman I was down with in Kansas. And he's like, did you sleep at all this week? And got a couple of hours. It was just like, at this point, I don't even really notice it. You know what I mean? It's just like it's part of it. Once it gets to January 11th, though, when season closes, no. You're not going to catch me staying up late, getting up early. It's just, you know, it's a hibernation mode for a couple months. But, <laughs> you know. Like I said, it's enjoy it while it's happening, you know, because, I mean, not to be a downer, but you never know what could happen. Enjoy every day we get to be out there. And, uh, like I just keep saying, it's just a privilege. So You are not kidding there. Um, I think uh, you were down in Kansas, Kansas with um, Jeff Lindsay, is that right? Yes, sir. Yep, we got to head down there last week and had five tags in camp to fill and uh filled all five of them so it was a busy week my first time 
Well, it was my second time getting to go to Kansas, but first time seeing as many deer as we did. I mean, it was incredible. I mean, for those that haven't been to Kansas, coming from Iowa, you know, we have a lot of deer, but the ecosystem down there, the amount of wildlife they can support, I mean, it, it was, you know, waterfowl, uh, pheasants, deer, you know, everything. It was pretty incredible. I saw my first porcupine, which probably isn't that exciting, but, you know, I was sitting there and then walked out and I'm like, is that a porcupine? What else does this place have? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it's just kind of a melting pot of animals. And uh, couldn't say enough about those guys at the Lindsay Way. I mean, we uh, do some video production, custom production work with them. But besides that, I mean, just overall, everything you get from their TV show, just a great group of guys that really just love hunting. And uh, it was a very refreshing deer camp to get to be a part of. And, uh, like I said, just a lot of fun, a lot of success. So couldn't ask for more. Yeah, I think um, we. I mean, we had Jeff on. I think it was episode seventy-five, and shoot, that was a great conversation. I just felt like we caught up with him all night, you know. And mm-hmm. I, I can't imagine the, the deer camp with those dudes. It'd be that'd be a great time. And, yeah, uh, no, it, uh, it was. I didn't know techno football was a thing, but there's some pretty intense games going on. Little. Nintendo thing, and like I said, you put five, you put five bucks on the ground. It was a, it was a busy week, but like I said, it, uh, you know, if I could do it all over again, I'd go right back for sure. What part of Kansas were you guys in? Um, the best way, well, we were near Dodge City, somewhere around that area, so South Central. Not trying to give away the location of that, but sure, sure, um, you know, very South Central. Um kind of all looked the same to me i just put in maps and it was about eight hours away and then i was there so it uh <laughs> it was pretty very pretty it was near the arkansas river so that was another pretty you know cool geographical feature per se i think that's probably why there's so much wildlife um but yeah that's that's a beautiful piece of the country there I, I actually made my first trip to kansas a couple of weeks ago myself wasn't too far from you i was just uh west of wichita okay about 45 minutes to an hour in uh southern part of the state also which is uh, a little bit different from what i hear from guys that go up north but yeah i enjoyed it tons of deer like you said we had four tags in camp and unfortunately i was the only one that didn't tag out but three of my buddies killed some giants and had a blast, and I'd, I'd recommend anybody get out there if they ever get the chance, for sure. Absolutely. That's what I was going to say is, I, you know, I wasn't hunting there, but, you know, fully intent on someday trying to get back there and try to fill a tag. It's awesome you guys had a good camp. I mean, that's, you know, I don't know. Coming from a bow hunting only, that was my first time ever being a part of, like, a gun camp, and it was just like you guys said, just constant joking around, goofing off, having fun. It, uh, I mean, every aspect of it was just a blast, something I've never really got to experience because we don't have a rifle season in Iowa. Um, the closest you get to that is the shotgun season. Right. And I always get a late muzzleloader tag just in order to get a second bow tag, but it uh, it was a privilege to get to be a part of it for sure. So speaking of Iowa, you started off the season with a pretty good bang. Walk us through the uh, <laughs> setup for that, what your spring and summer prep was like, and Walk us through that uh, situation that got you set up for that. Okay. Well, I guess as far as 
how I got to that point. So I predominantly hunted public land the last two years, so in 2017, or excuse me, 2018, 2019. And, um, you know, over the last year and a half, I heavily started helping out on a piece of property in South Central Iowa. And just when I say helping out, it's, you know, helping with maintaining food plots, running cameras, anything really that he needed done that he wasn't able to, you know, get to time-wise, I would go and do it. And eventually that led to permission on this piece of property that you were talking about that I was very, you know, lucky to have success on. Um, But as far as picking up, you know, the summer prep per se on this permission farm, we'll call it, um, you know, I I really found out that I was going to be able to hunt it pretty late into the year. I mean, I want to say it was shoot mid-July early July and so as far as preparations go you know you feel like you don't really have that much time to do anything that valuable um but one I guess we'll just nail in on this there was a buck there that we were calling the brow buck um and started getting pictures of him right away when we put cameras on the farm and I did have some prior intel from the year before from the landowner for two bucks that were going to show up, hopefully. We were looking for a buck called the Brow Buck, like I said, and then this tall time 10-pointer. And instantly they both showed up. But right away I definitely, you know, was leaning towards wanting to target that Brow Buck just because he's super heavy, really, I mean, not very creatively named, big, tall, bladed Brow Tines. You know, just full character, a bunch of sticker points. But the area that they were showing up in, you know, we had a pretty bad growing season as far as on that farm for corn. Um, we were getting the stalks, but none of the corn actually germinated and made ears. Okay. Um, so right away, we're like, we have no food in these areas that we're really looking to key in on them. And it's not like we put that plot there for any particular reason. You know, a lot of times when we're structuring these food plots, there's a you know, a geographical feature, maybe a travel terrain, but there really wasn't enough, um, you know, knowledge per se of hunting the farm to really make an educated decision outside of we wanted good access and good exit. Um, and we felt like we could hunt this, you know, pretty well on north winds, which when you're talking about early season hunting or October in general, those early cold fronts, that was predominantly what we were going to target. But, you know, once that corn didn't grow, we figured, okay, well, we have to come up with something. And very luckily, the the landowner has a drill, and we were able to take some frigid forage, big and beastie, which is uh, predominantly a turnip mix. It's got a couple forage rapes in there, and we were able to rescue that plot, essentially. You know, so here was this really good area that we had planted and hoped to hunt, all of a sudden we're left with no food we we're able to rescue it and now it's still a viable option and in my opinion i think it was almost a better option as far as that early october went I'm not so sure for late season you know and continuous throughout the season or right. continuous throughout november but um you know luckily it only took one day so it uh I guess I don't know where you really want me to start with it. I mean, it things started getting really, like, weird, per se, in the middle of September. And I guess you guys probably already know this, but the buck that I ended up killing was in full velvet. 
in Iowa on October 1st, which I never even grew up considering that as a possibility ever, let alone, you know, the caliber of deer that this animal was. Um, But he started to shed his velvet in early September. You know, we had the brow buck, but then when this deer, and this is a tall time 10 pointer, when he moved into the brow plot, we called it the brow plot because we were, you know, it's kind of confusing. I, I apologize for that. But <laughs> we were targeting the brow buck. All of a sudden, here's this, you know, giant in velvet. I'm like, okay, we got we got to try and hunt this deer. And like I said, so he started to shed his beams uh, early September. I think it was September 4th is when I got the first picture of the velvet peeling off his beams. And didn't even think anything of it. You know, this deer had been there the previous year, shed his velvet just fine, whatever. Well, then we get to the second week in November, September. Nothing's changed. Exact same amount of velvet hanging. Third week. That's crazy. And I'm like, man, there's this isn't right. You know what I mean? And showing a lot of daylight activity. You know, as September was progressing, all of these mature bucks that we had on the farm, four and five years old, they were starting to get more and more and more nocturnal, right? So they were shedding their velvet. They were going nocturnal. Well, this guy wasn't. You know what I mean? And he was doing you know, pretty much the same loop almost every night. Essentially, he was acting like a buck those you were hunting in August, you know, during velvet season. Um, and it wasn't until the last week of September that I'm like, man, we really might have a shot at shooting a velvet buck in Iowa. And then when somebody, I was talking, I was talking to one of my buddies, and he's like, did you see the cold front that's coming through next week? And instantly I'm like, no. And I looked, and I'm like, holy crap. You know, like that is... That's the recipe right there. Here I have this daylight activity buck and conditions that he shouldn't be moving in daylight. And then I've got a high-pressure northwest cold front coming through on opening day. You know he's going to be on his feet in daylight. But So what, what did that look like? How much of a temperature drop and anything else from the weather that you remember? Yeah, so we uh, – and I guess before we get to that point – yeah, I mean, I can talk about that. So – it would have been two days before opening day, so it would have, yeah. Is it 30 days of September? I'm sorry. I'm not trying to, like, I just want to make sure. Is it yeah, yep. 30 in September. Okay, sorry. <laughs> I didn't know it was That's September. That's okay. 30. Very good. Um, so September 30th is when the front came through, and that was about a, I want to say it was like a 20-degree temperature drop, but it was accompanied by rising barometric pressure. And the big thing was that we switched from a south to a northwest wind. And for this particular situation, that threw a wrench in everything. The conditions were great. Northwest wind, rising pressure on the 30th. We were going to get the exact same conditions on October 1st. Northwest wind, rising pressure. The only difference was that pressure was continuously rising. So it was higher than the day before. So just a little bit better. Um, But to back up a little bit, you know, when I saw that we were going to have a northwest wind, we had hung a stand on this food plot anticipating to hunt it on either a direct north or northeast, which was going to carry our scent, um, you know, to the left of the plot. And it was just basically going into some tall grass. Well, northwest wind for that stand blew right into the food plot. And even worse, it blew right into the scrape in this camera that I was getting this buck on called Scrape Island. And... I think it was September 26th that I was, so I live about an hour and a half away from this farm and we had a pop-up storm 
that was making its way towards the farm, and I rushed down there and hung two stands in the rain on the east side of the food plot and tree that really shouldn't have stands in it, but it was our, you know, our only option because we were just, you know, despite the great conditions, we didn't have the right tree to hunt them. You know what I mean? In the current situation. So as great as everything was looking, I knew, you know, at this point, with this buck's daylight activity, his consistency and his pattern, it was more like you were hunting every deer around him. You know, I felt like we had a good shot at seeing him, but we had to fool all of the does coming into this plot, all the small bucks. I mean, early in October and late September, that plot was loading up every night. And the night that we killed him, and we ended up seeing 20, 25 does, you wow. know, as the night progressed through. Nice. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. You could break down a lot of different points on that. I mean, at the end of the day, we just got lucky. Um, but, <laughs> well, it sounds like you made a lot of luck. That's a lot of work driving an hour and a half to take advantage of a rainstorm and get some new stands hung. So, yeah, I mean, it was literally that. 40 yards. I mean, it was just literally on the opposite side of the blue plot. And at that rate, you know, we still knew that it was going to take a lot of luck because while our wind was not blowing into the plot now, as you can kind of picture to my northwest, so it would be directly behind me and to my right, was the bedding ridge. You know, I knew there was going to be deer on it. And my hypothesis was that this buck was bedded within 150 to 200 yards of us. Um, and, uh, you know, we got lucky and guessed right, and by the end of the night, he ended up coming to the food plot, so it uh, it worked. I mean, it's, it's the first time, and I said it, I don't know if, if you can watch the episode, you'll hear me say it, but, you know, opening day is always full of anticipation, but it was the first time that I'd ever been like, we have every opportunity, to, we just can't screw it up. I mean, it's like we were very confident that we were going to see him, and it was a pins and needles type of hunt the entire night. I mean, honestly, by the time we saw him, I don't want to say I wasn't excited, but my adrenaline had been running for so long that evening that once we got to that last 20 minutes, it was just like, okay, where's he at? Step out, man. Here we go. And then my buddy Caleb was just like, there he is, you know, and it was like game on. So, yeah, uh, true blessing. I don't know how else to put that. It was a heck of a way to start off the year. I like I said, never envisioned shooting a velvet buck in Iowa, let alone it being my first gross boon animal. Wow. And uh, he ended up going 174 and 2 A's. So, or excuse nice. me, 5 A's. Five sorry. Not that it, I'm not a big scorer yet, but, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I'll kill one that big ever again. So, Caleb Byers, I don't know for those that don't know him, he, uh, he was very adamant on scoring him for me. He's like – I went and showed him on the way to tax the Germans. He's like, I'm scoring it right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's uh, one of my best buddies. So, yeah, yeah, no, we, we follow him on uh, you know, Drury's and whatnot. And um, yep. you know, you guys, I mean, you had a lot of luck there, but at the same time, you know, we, we talk about your access a lot on on this podcast and being sent free and drove down in the rain, hung two stands just because the wind was going to be a little bit different and. You redid the food plot. I mean, you did a lot of things battling against elements when it wasn't going your way and, and was able to turn it around. So that that's commendable. Um, 
And on, on that scrape island, I don't remember from the video or, or not, a Midwest white toe. Is that a mock scrape or was that his actual scrape? Or? Yeah, so that was a, it's a natural scrape. Okay. Um, it is just basically in the middle of that, you know, long plot. It's just a big tree with a bunch of hanging limbs that they, in a circle, have four or five different scrapes open on it. And, again, you know, I guess that would be one thing, and I'm not saying anything that the listeners to this don't know, but we were able to identify that that was going to be, again, yeah, remember, I did not hunt this farm. There wasn't any pictures from this particular spot, but you could see all of the previous licking branches chewed up on the tips, you know, where they had been breaking it from the year before. And so you knew, obviously, that this was going to be a location that these scrapes were going to open. Um, it just was a matter of were they going, the bucks that we were hunting, going to be using them. And sure enough, you know, this deer did. So that was the interesting thing, too, you know, to hit on his velvet. He would, he would only work the orbital gland. For whatever reason, when we get photos of him, we would never get any of the more aggressive behavior. Now, granted, it was early October, but, you know, when other bucks would start to pee in the scrapes and, you know, paw at it, he wasn't doing any of that at all. Um, he was almost just like he was a very, I don't know. And the thing is, you know, he didn't have any injury. He was not a stag. He wow. I could not find anything about him that was atypical that would cause him to still have that velvet. Hmm. Um, but here we are. So. <laughs> no, he's he's a heck of a buck. And uh, you know, for everybody who's who hasn't seen that, you know, you can check out all Josh's work over at Midwest White Tail, including that. That hunt, and then you know, moving moving onward, you guys just wrapped up a, a two part series of a 204 inch giant down there, and um, and, and I mean, you could talk about those two hunts all, all day as well, and and it's just uh, you know, you guys are are dialed in, and it's it's cool to see and, and just watch, you know, you guys on the next level, just just really strategizing and, and making sure you're you're doing things very carefully and it pays off obviously i mean so congrats on that 174 man he's huge that's awesome yeah no, it was uh you know the deer was big and you know shot my first velvet deer ever which was really awesome but i guess it's funny you know like i said deer was big but what i remember the most was just all the people all my buddies that gave me calls and had a lot of guys drive down to come see it and Got to share with one of my best friends, so yep, it uh, it was definitely one of those things that'll stick with me for a very long time, for sure. Very cool. Well, when when we're launching this show here, it's gonna be about coming into into mid December, so I kind of want to jump forward and and get with you and and Brian and, and talk about how you're gonna tackle late season now that. You know, you got a, you got a muzzleloader tag coming up where you can bow hunt again. Um, you know, what are you doing with the cameras? Or what are your thoughts right now? What are you doing right now that you get back from Kansas after maybe a day or two of rest? How are you going to attack this late season here? Yeah, so I mean, the number one thing, obviously, I mean, it's a broken record for late season. If you had the food, you're putting yourself in a good position. And um, more importantly, it's going to be trying to find a target buck to, to go after. And, you know, we've talked about it briefly, Jared, but on the farm that you just mentioned where we were very fortunate to chase that buck of a lifetime and get him last week, or 
12 days ago, whatever it was. Um, there's this buck that we encountered on that pursuit that's lived there for a couple of years. He's a mature nine-pointer this year, very tight rack frame buck. Um, and I don't want to use the word coal because that's not what he is. He's an awesome deer in his own right. Not the biggest antler deer, but definitely awesome personality and going to be hopefully a good target to go after. But he's got a bully personality, and that would be one of the top reasons to hopefully key in on him during that late season. And more importantly, because it's going to benefit the farm for the years to come. But he, my strategy right now for him would be simply, I, I have a pretty good idea of where he beds. And that's simply because of multiple years of history with him and predominantly where these deer shift once they start looking for more thermal cover. There's a really big cedar thicket um, right in the center of the farm that typically these deer will work through out to the food. And, um, you know, typically we're going to wait to hunt them on the food. Obviously, if we can get the right winds and the right conditions. Um, he tends to be a daylight walker, um, but I say that, and I've tried to shoot him for the last two seasons, so what do I know? <laughs> uh, but, you know, that's that's where we're going to start. It's hard to say exactly what we're going to do as we get there. You know, the weather's sure. going to have to be there. The winds are going to have to be correct, but Something that, you know, I've talked about doing that would be kind of different than normal because typically I just hunt the evenings for, you know, a buck. But the spot that I think we have our best chance at killing him is the same stand that we encountered him um, in late November. And, you know, mind you, this deer was at 10 yards just for about six, seven minutes. So that was just like stewing that you're like, man, I've tried getting into this position for two years and I don't have a tag, <laughs> you know. But, again, can't complain about that. But the reason why I mentioned the morning hunt aspect is that it's right tight to that bedding area that I talked about. And basically what you're doing is you're going to hopefully be catching these deer coming out the feed. Now, the trouble is there's no chance that you'd be able to get into that stand anytime except in the dark in the morning before those deer are back in there. So you're talking about a long day um, for a late season hunt, and you have a very high odds of, you know, busting deer in there should you get the wrong wind. Um, you need a pretty stiff wind because it's, like I said, right on the edge, so you can get some swirling there. Um, and really what I'd be looking for in that is probably a southwest, which, okay, you know, late season – it's not necessarily always accompanied by the best mature buck movement. So it, it'll it be interesting. I mean, who knows what the cameras will show us. There's a couple of different clover plots that he's frequented in the past. Um, but, you know, we have a general idea of where he is. And really the strategy is going to start with cameras. Um, I'm not going to move him right now. Um, I already did that. I moved most of my most of my cameras off scrapes just because we're really trying to figure out where they're entering the food because that's going to be, you know, obviously a big um, factor into what spots we're trying to get them at. But it'll uh, it'll obviously depend on a lot of factors. So Okay, so you're moving the cameras, or you have already moved them um, off of the scrapes onto food. That makes sense to me. Um, what type of food are you focusing on the most? He's mentioned a couple of clover plots. Um, 
I'd be surprised if you didn't have some beans around somewhere. Does that sound about right? Yep, yep. So, like I said, this is right in the exact same area that we were chasing that buck that you mentioned, the 204. Um, if you can kind of picture this, it's just one long east-to-west bean field. And it's on the top of a ridge, and on both sides of it there's bedding. Um, so I feel like that's where he's going to be. You know, especially when we start to get those cold temperatures, that will be where he's at. The trouble is, is that the chances of shooting him with a bow on that bean field are very slim. So really what I'm hoping for is that we can get some, you know, more milder temperatures. Um, Last few years, there's a, below those beans, beans, there's a clover plot um, that he typically frequents. And then we've also got a winter wheat spot that, Similar to the same situation we ran into on the farm that I shot the velvet buck, corn did not grow properly, and we were able to drill in some winter wheat and rye, and uh, that came up really well. And I actually got pictures of him yesterday, last yesterday evening, like 4 o'clock. He was with another buck that is actually believed to be 8.5 to 9.5. He is uh, probably the... I wish I could show you guys a picture of him. He is a he's a legend. He I mean like you can't even think about trying to shoot him. He's made it too long. He's uh <laughs> he's got a very very interesting rack and he has for the last couple of years. But you know, two mature bucks feeding and it was like four o'clock, so plenty of shooting time left. But hopefully he can maintain that pattern. That would be the ideal situation for sure. Um, but it'll uh. I'm sure it'll change in the next couple of weeks. So, so on that long east to west bean field, I noticed there was some—I believe it was corn—on the edge between the beans and the the woods. Either corn, or maybe it was a screen, or maybe it was corn that was used as a screen. Um, any was there any strategy to that, or is that the corn you're talking about that didn't have the ears? So yeah, so that would be on the west side. So that's where the green was near that. Uh, is that the redneck blind you're talking about area? Um, that where you can see, see the rack. I think what you this were looking. Rack. That's okay. So what that is is when you're talking about the GQ buck. Yep. So that's just tall grass. Okay. Um, honestly, that's actually just weeds that grew up inside the beans. It, I mean, it was totally unintentional. It does work as a screen, as you saw in that yeah. when it comes through out of it. I thought you guys were geniuses. I'm like, look at that. It's awesome. No, yeah, I wish we could take credit for that, um, but no. I mean, that, that that's usually a very clean field. Uh, I don't really know what happened this year, um, but plenty of food there. There's no doubt about that. I mean, honestly, the thing I keep going back to with the landowners, like with a bow, there's almost too much as right. far as trying to shoot the deer, but, you know, enough that the, the main reason for having that is to have a food source, hopefully through – all winter into spring. Yeah. You know, that's the big idea on that farm is to always have food available no matter what time of year it is. Um, and hopefully that, you know, large bean field would be enough. And like I said, I think we've got a really good chance of getting in as long as we don't get any snow. However, from what I've seen and heard, we're allegedly supposed to have a pretty harsh winter. So we'll see how it shakes out. Um, I wouldn't mind, like I said, hunting one over those green plots. I think that'll give us our best opportunity. Um, but yeah, it's, it's such an easy, you know, if we're hunting the green, it's a very easy access and even better exit. Um, 
I'm hope well, I should say it's an easy exit as long as they're not in the plot. Hopefully they're in the beans by that point. But it, uh, you know, we'll take our shots. I, definitely is going to be motivated by daylight activity on camera. So. Yep. No, that, that makes sense. It seems like um, a lot of the guys we talked to this fall have really been, uh, you know, directed or, or intrigued or maybe steered a little bit by either cell cameras or, or cutting back systems or whatever the option is that you can just monitor all the time and get that, you know, the MRI and that good information. Um, that's, I mean, we, I have, I think, I think I'm running six cell cameras on my small property. It's just been a game changer on what you, what you see and what you would have missed if you didn't have them. And I got to get them back on the food though, before this cold weather gets here, we're getting some, we're getting some decent weather, but here in Michigan, the last two years, we haven't had that cold December like like I need, really. Yeah. No, I, and that's one thing I'll definitely do, you know, as we get closer to actually bow hunting again. You know, we've got cameras spread out pretty well around the farm right now, and more or less that's just uh, maintain an inventory and, you know, see what bucks are making it through the shotgun seasons, hopefully all of them. You know, do we have any new deer move in? But if that tight nine is showing any sort of pattern on going into that bean field or those those green plots, what I'll probably end up doing is, you know, focusing a lot of our cameras, almost too many, in the exact same spot, um, you know, spread out around that field just to see if I can, you know, two things I'm going to look for. A, are there deer coming to where I'm going to be entering from or are there deer going to be where I'm exiting, you know what I mean? And maybe we're going to pick up that he's happening to use this trail. Because as you saw in that video, there's a million places they can enter that bean field. There's more likely options, you know what I mean? But at the end of the day, there's not that many options that you can bow hunt them from. So it, uh, it'll it be interesting. Great um, points, though. Great points. But, you know, it, it does seem redundant. I mean, it's something that we tried this year. You know, you always think, okay, I'm going to put one camera on a food plot. But once we had found, you know, where this buck was living, and I'm talking about that 200-inch deer, you know, once we keyed in on his area, well, then it came into, you know, we had some, two cameras on a food plot on both sides of the plot, trying to really nail down <laughs> where is he coming in, where right. is he exiting. And we were starting, you know, we were able to put together a pretty interesting pattern of, like, you know, if we wouldn't have had that other camera on the other side, you know, we would have thought that this deer was a very sporadic visitor. You know what I'm saying? When in truth, he was actually there almost every day. Um, so that was something that changed in my, my attitude. I'm probably going to carry over to the late season because um, it's going to look kind of funny when you see, you know, in one pan you could probably see five or six cameras. But <laughs> – I do think that that's going to give us some good information. Because for me, it's like if I, I don't really want to hunt a spot if I can't get out of it clean, especially when you're trying to target one deer. Yeah, that's you know, huge. I mean, if we screw it up, we could potentially screw it up for the rest of the season. So, you know, we'll uh, be calculated and taking a shot at him. And who knows? I mean, we could get lucky and get back after that brow buck like I uh, before this call started. Um, actually got a picture of that buck tonight for the first time in over a month. So in that same food plot we planned for him, that would be Excellent. that would be an awesome thing to be able to go after. But 
I'm not going to count my chickens because he uh, seems to pop up once every blue moon. So, well, uh, good good luck with that one for sure. Yeah. yeah. And Josh, you've been around Midwest Whitetail now for a few years, and you guys do a heck of a job on your spring and summer prep and getting the different food plots in at the right time. Is there a, a certain system you guys follow every year that you do year in and year out, or do you change it up based on the, the farm layout? Or Walk us through what your guys' approach is for okay. getting those food plots in the ground. Yeah, so, and I'm going to use that uh, farm that I get to help out on as a as the canvas, per se. You know, the landowner was very, very specific about where he put his microplots, per se. Um, they're very easy spots to get into. They're good spots to get out of. And they're always right next to some sort of bedding area. Um, you know, it, predominantly what we, and this is something that changed for me, you know, the last few years, 2015 to 2017, when I was still in eastern Iowa going to school with my buddies, we always planted, you know, the fall plot, turnip mix, all that good stuff. Really, on this farm, we do nothing but clover. And for nothing else than that, it's a palatable food source almost all aspects of the year. You know, once you get snow, it's a little less effective, obviously. Um, but it's a very easy one to maintain. You know, I, that's another thing that I'm doing during the spring and summer months is just the mowing aspect, frost seeding. So this past year, I frost seeded almost every plot, and it did great. I mean, all the clover did really well, and we got the right rains. It's a very low maintenance. You know, for me, it helped out a lot just because, like I said, didn't have to spend a ton of time doing it once it's established. And I'm not taking any credit for that, you know, because the landowner put all that stuff in before I came. I'm just more or less helping maintain it. Um, right. And, you know, as, like I said, you could go into, you know, a lot of conversation how each plot is – you know, designed per se, um, but all of them are based on the simple entry exit strategy for sure. But yeah, simple. Whether it's the entry and exit, or simple and just using clover, it, it's funny because a lot of us get wrapped up in trying to go to that next level and have the sexy food plots like the the big bean fields or the big corn fields, and mm-hmm. you know, like you said, you're getting it done with the clover and. Sometimes you gotta boil it down to those simple things like access and and just have yeah. a simple good food source. Yeah, and like I said, those are the, that's on the green plot side of things, and you know, around almost every single one of those is a big centralized food source. So we used on that, you know, what we call the South Ridge. That's that bean field. You know, that was one giant field of beans, and then there was supposed to be corn. And then in between them was the green. You know what I mean? So right. it's all right there. You know, really the time of year is what you're hitting on, you know. Because that was a nice thing, you know. Let's just talk if we ha- you know, have those beans and we also have the clover. It gives us two options to hunt during the late season because, you know, if it's warmer, one thing we've tended to notice and um, is that green can be a very hot food source if it's warmer temperatures. Even, dis- you know, despite the warm temps, you can still see mature buck activity on there. You can't catch mature bucks coming in, you know, trying to find doe fawns that might be popping into estrus late in the year. Um, and especially on that farm, you know, it's a very low-pressured area, so it 
it might not be the best representation for all farms across the country as far as mature buck movement goes, but you can still have some very good hunting. Um, I, you know, I actually killed a buck back in 2018, my first year hunting that farm. And it was, we were on a corn plot and it was like 65 degrees, but we had a big cold front coming through the next day, but still, you know, on pressured farm, you can get away with a lot as far as mature buck movement goes. So, but that goes back to, you know, you always hear the guys that are like, oh, well, I wish I had that, you know, and it's, you know, very intentional how that farm is treated throughout the year. You know what I mean? It's very undisturbed despite how fun it could be to go and tromp around all the time. Um, and, you know, those little details play into a lot of the success that we experience in the fall for sure. A hundred percent. That's another thing we hit all the time is just pressure, 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 especially in states like Pennsylvania where Brian's from, Michigan, and whatnot. Um, do you guys wrap it up like, like when do you stop going on the farm? Is it you don't go on the farm, period, the entire year, unless you're mowing, unless you're swapping cards, or is it more like you wrap it up in maybe August for the for the fall? How does that look for you I guys? Wouldn't, I wouldn't say that there's necessarily a wrap-up period. There's just definitely some spots we don't go into, period. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, Thanks for you. There's some very specific locations where if I'm going in there, it is to set up cameras one time in the summer, and then I don't have to touch it the entire season. And if I do, it's, you know, we're going to go in on a rainy day or some way that we think we're doing the least amount of damage. Um, you know, there's, there's a pretty decent amount of activity, uh, whether it be shed hunting during the spring, turkey hunting. Um, you know, obviously – there's a pretty big break in time, you know, during the, the summer months. The only time I go out there is really to mow or velvet scout from a distance. But there's definitely some areas where intentionally, you know, set aside, as you use the word sanctuary, you know, for these deer to never be disturbed and ultimately allowing them to be on the farm all year long. So, it's a, it's a very special place. I mean, again, I'm, I'm not going to sugarcoat that. Lee has made that place an incredible, incredible mecca. I mean, he has worked. It's a true testament of, like, you know, Iowa's amazing, but when you mix Iowa with hard work, you can have something really pretty incredible. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I can't even imagine. Uh, I know I got a little taste of it last year when I was out there in southern Iowa, and it was um, – it was – Probably the best hunting trip I've been on. It was, it was pretty awesome. And uh, it's just the, the, the low pressure, the, the amount of deer, the amount of mature deer. And then, like you said, if you actually give a crap and, and lay off the pressure and plant some nice food and try really hard, that's just going to be dynamite. I mean, yeah. I think. Yeah, no, um, no, go ahead. No, I was just going to say it. I, you know, I grew up. In Iowa, I did not have, you know, I had a place to hunt, but it was nothing like that. So every year that I get to spend in southern Iowa, I'm learning more and more and more. Um, but it's a, it's a, yeah, pretty special place. All right, Josh, I have uh, one more question I want to ask you before we wrap this up. Do you have anything that we missed? No, 
No, I just I'm a little upset that I didn't get to hang out with you and you came to Iowa last year. <laughs> <laughs> I know, man. I know. I uh I was too busy in the woods all day. <laughs> I mean you understand. Next time I come through there, I'm calling you. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> the uh, I, I want to hear about um, where we can find you, where we can watch your stuff. But I have one more question first. I ask this to a lot of our listeners. Kind of random, but we get some pretty good, pretty good answers out of it. Uh, I want to know what your favorite tree is. And you know we're no. habitat related here, so we talk about that hunting. Sure. So it's like. Favorite hunting tree, the tree you hunt out of, favorite habitat tree you plant, or maybe you hunt around, or just one you like seeing going down the road, man. Tell me what your favorite um, tree is. Favorite hunting tree would be a pin oak, and my favorite habitat tree would be a cedar. Nice. And pin oak be just because, I mean, the cover that it offers you. I mean, obviously, for those that watch the show, Jared knows the giant pin oak guy always is able to find. I mean, it's just. When you're bow hunting predominantly, you know, it's having cover in November is crucial, obviously, when you have two guys. Um, you know, they're a little bit tougher as far as trying to get tree stands into when you're hanging hunting. You got to trim a lot more. But, you know, the, the cover that it affords you, I think, allows for some pretty cool hunting. And, you know, they're not always the biggest trees. So a lot of times when you do have those encounters, they're pretty up close and personal, which makes uh, just that more intense. But cedar tree... Uh, just, you know, I love shed hunting just as much as I love deer hunting. And, you know, that cedar thickets on that farm are great thermal cover for winter. And we, we tend to find a lot on our south facing cedar ridges. So it, uh, you know, always, always hold a special place for me in that respect. So, you know what? That's funny you say that. I found my very first shed in Nebraska under a cedar tree, that thermal cover. That makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Yeah, no, I mean, that's that's a big project that we're trying to do on a lot of our south-facing ridges. Um, luckily, the landowner was able to acquire a tree spade. And so one thing we're going to be trying to do this off-season, hopefully, is, you know, we've got a lot of good south-facing habitat, you know, and ridges with just not a lot of cover on them. And so with, you know, being able to put, you know, clusters, we're like last year what we did, we took a ridge and, you can kind of picture clusters of three that uh, we were able to transplant cedars from the farm and, you know, move them for where they weren't really doing that much good to hopefully, you know, you're holding a couple more deer and hopefully a couple more bucks, you know, in a particular area. So, and uh, the other part about that is that they're very close to the food sources. So hopefully you're not having to pull those bucks as far and you can get some more daylight activity out of it. Oh, nice little tip at the end there, my friend. Nice work. Well, I don't know if it was a tip, but <laughs> well, you, I mean, I've heard, we've talked about transplanting cedars one other time with uh, our buddy Tom James out of Indiana, and uh, I know that they they love those things and getting a spade and putting them on the south facing slope next to a or moving that bedding area closer to your, I mean, to where you're hunting. That's great. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah, that's huge to be able to move that size tree to have instant cover and don't have to wait 10 years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. No, that's, yeah, I mean, there's a million things that count as a blessing, you know, with that farm and, you know, the deer we get to hunt and ultimately the stories we get to tell. So, 
It's a pretty cool thing to be a part of, for sure. Well, I want to give you a, a shout-out. I think uh, the way you guys put together, um, especially you, Chasing November and Midwest White Show, I mean, those are those are my favorite shows. So, um, you know, hats off to you. And then the stuff you're doing with the Lindsays recently and 204-inch buck video that just came out the other day, watching you film throughout there, I mean, you had some insane shots like that. That buck walking in with an owl hooting in the background. I know we talked about this earlier, but that was just awesome. And then how you got that deer shot, or uh, yeah, shot him with the camera. When Lee shot him, you actually ripped it off the camera arm and spun around the tree. I mean, like a a filming ninja up there, man. And I'm just, I'm impressed. I'm impressed. I love what you do. So just keep up the good work and, uh, you know, make sure you tell everybody how to find you and, and follow along, so. Yeah, no, I, I first off really appreciate that, but I got to be very clear when I say I've had some of the best mentors and teachers, you know, that a guy could possibly ask for, so I I appreciate the compliment, but credit needs to be given where it's due, and, you know, Bill Winky, Jared Mills have, uh, in their own rights, taught me a lot as far as the editing and the filming goes, and you know, that's why we're we're at today for sure. You know, a little bit of hard work. But, you know, you can find us on, obviously, MidwestWhitetail.com and then our YouTube channel, um, just Midwest Whitetail. Have the Midwest Whitetail Daily channel. That's where you can find the hunts, you know, as they're happening. The episodes are on the main show. And, um, yeah, no, I mean, it's it's a true privilege, man. We've got a, a great team of guys that, make it a lot of fun and a privilege to be a part of such a, you know, a fun group and hopefully get to continue bringing the stories to, to the table for the years to come. So it's uh can't really put it any other way than it's a blessing to get to do something you love every single day. You know, as a kid, you think about doing it, but to be doing it, uh, you know, every time I think about it, just it's a little cooler. So Yeah, and it shows for sure, Joss, some of the best – content in the industry and i'm not just saying that because we got you on as a guest i hear it from tons of people i run into your your name comes up what midwest whitetail comes up that's what everybody's following we're we're trying to put out as good a content as you guys and everybody else is is following your guys lead and just great job appreciate you taking the time to come on and talk to us no like i said i really appreciate the opportunity hope to get to hang out sometime soon this coronavirus stuff will trail off and stuff will hopefully return a little bit back to normal, but really appreciate it, guys. Thank you very much. Thank you, Josh. Thank you so much, listeners, for coming and listening once again to the Habitat Podcast. We really appreciate it. If you could, please do us a favor. Leave us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast. If you type out something nice, I will send you a free Habitat Podcast decal. If you haven't been to our website, HabitatPodcast.com, we have our Habitat Property Consultation Services on there under the Land Plan tab. Check out our HP Land Plans there. We also have hats, T-shirts, and decals up at HabitatPodcast.com. Of course, all of our podcast episodes. And then we have a new Habitat Podcast journal. We can learn about deer anatomy and some cool thoughts, um, you know, more of a blog post from us every now and then. We'd really love it if you went over to our Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube 
following the Habitat Podcast, and please subscribe. That really helps us. And thank you very much to our sponsors. We have Michigan Whitetail Pursuit, Packer Max Cultipackers, Huntwise, Killer Food Plots, The Habitat Hook, Realtree United Country Land Pro, Lake States Realty and Auction, Sound Barrier Hunting, and Morse Nursery. Thank you so much, guys, for tuning in once again. Get back with us soon. We're going to have another great episode for you as we become better habitat managers.